Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood, hosted by yours truly, Millie Brooks, also known as an infertility sleuth. Hi guys, thanks for being here today. This is episode 50, and we are going to talk with Elise Ash, who is the CEO of Fruitful, which is a fertility mentorship program that connects those struggling with infertility with those who've been through it firsthand. So we are going to hear more about Elise's fertility journey, hear where she came up with the idea for Fruitful, and why it's a great idea to get a mentor when going through infertility. So that's what we have lined up today. But before we get to that combo with Elise, please take 60 seconds to rate, review, and subscribe to Me, Myself, and Millie on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews carry so much weight and they help reach a bigger audience. So anything you can say to encourage other people to listen to the show is so appreciated. Thanks so much, guys. Welcome, Elise. How the hell are you doing right now? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I am hanging in there. I feel like it's a lie to be like, everything's fine. But it's also like, we don't need to get into all the dark nitty gritty details of everyone's like chaos that they're trying to manage. Yes, we don't. We, we, (laughs) everybody is managing it differently and um, it exists. It does. And it's funny. I feel like I've been really resentful of this messaging that's like, we're all in this together because it just really doesn't feel like it to me. Like, we're all in, we all are in the same storm, but we're all in different boats in the storm. Like, we're not on the same boat. That's kind of, I think I saw a meme of that on Instagram or something. And it's really stuck with me where the storm's the same, but we all have like different resources and things that we're dealing with and very real parameters. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I like that analogy. It's a good one. We're all trudging through this storm a little differently. Yeah, we all have like some people are on like a giant yacht with like a staff of people helping them. And some people are on their like paddle boat and some people are on like their plank of wood from the Titanic, like Jack and Rose style. So we're all just trying to like figure it out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's so great to have you on the show. Let's start with a little bit of background about yourself and your fertility story. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to to chat about that. So my background starts like so many other stories, I feel like, where my husband and I always knew he wanted to have kids, but we didn't want to rush into it right away. We wanted to travel and enjoy our lives and go to baseball games and do all that stuff that young couples love to do. So we were not necessarily in a huge rush, but we did know that we did want to eventually become parents. Sorry. So then when we decided we wanted to start trying, it was kind of like the way we approach a lot of things in life where we're like, okay, let's do it. We're, it's a project. We're going to learn all about like our, my basal body temperature and we're going to start tracking and charting and keeping up with everything. I feel like we went from not trying at all, like actively preventing to like, this is our project and we are on like mission, get pregnant. Like there was no in between fun, lighthearted, sexy time. Like it was like pretty much immediately like flip the switch. Now we're like going to get this done. And the whole process was incredibly 
stressful for me as someone who is very type A and really likes structure and answers and a plan and a calendar. And anyone who's tried to get pregnant for more than like four months can probably relate to this like, is something wrong? Like, am I doing this the right way? Am I doing sex right? Like, what the heck is going on? I just feel like... Am like I maybe, doing am I doing sex right? Kind I love of. It. Like, like I is love this it. a is this a user error? Like what the heck is going on? And like during all this too, my background um is in advertising. So I've worked as a creative copywriter in the ad industry, making commercials and websites and all kinds of stuff for all different brands. So kind of a stressful job and was very much in the middle of that career path. My husband's a developer and makes apps and websites and that kind of thing. So we were both kind of just trying to figure this out with our jobs where, you know, it's so stressful trying to go through all these medical appointments and put on your brave face when at work any given day, people are like, I'm pregnant again with my third and this was an accident and I brought donuts and you're like, cool. So we were kind yeah, of... that 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 is uh, a turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> it totally is. And then I always felt like I had to act... I'd overcompensate. So I would be like overly happy and like, oh my God, so exciting. Oh my God. Like your voice goes up like 800 pitches and you're just like, this is so cool. And baby registries and oh my God. And like inside you're dying. So there was definitely like a disconnect for me between um, what was going on internally and what I felt like I had to project as somebody who likes to be perceived as someone supportive and kind and a hostess and someone who's like bending over backwards to please everyone. So I think that was really like one of the bigger struggles for me during infertility was trying to align like what was going on internally and what I felt like I had to project. And then every once in a while, those two things would totally collide where I'd be like shopping at Target and walk by the baby section, just start sobbing, like openly weeping in Target. So I feel like those were kind of things that I couldn't really add like they didn't really add up all the time and that was a really really big struggle so we were trying we tried naturally for about a year and a half until I went to my OB did the whole like okay everything looks good but we're gonna put you on Clomid try like let's see how that goes nothing happened HSG test tubes are open nothing happened sperm analysis everything looks fine like pretty much everything was looking okay we finally went to the fertility clinic, and at this point, I think it had been like a year and a half, and we were both like really looking for something to be wrong, like something to fix, but also like terrified that something was wrong. It was this weird, like, what am I even rooting for thing? Because if there's something that you know is wrong, quote unquote, like if there's an issue to solve, then okay, you're not insane, you know, unexplained infertility is like the universe is just gaslighting you so hard. You're like, everything looks good on paper, but what the heck is going on? So, you know, to oh, our- I love that analogy. <laughs> like, can, I'm just going to repeat that. Yeah. Infertility is like the universe is gaslighting you. It is because you're taught your whole childhood how easy it is to get pregnant. Like your expectations are... Honestly, I thought like, oh my God, if I sit on a public restroom toilet, like I could get pregnant. If I go in this hot tub, I could get pregnant. Like if I use the wrong towel, I might get pregnant. Totally. You just think like your vagina is like one giant like saloon door that like anything can just like come in. But it's totally not like that. So I felt like a lot of my early days was kind of trying to get over the shame of like, 
oh my gosh, why is this so hard? I feel like frogs can do this. Like teenagers can do this. Like, why is this so hard? So went to the infertility clinic, very first baseline ultrasound, that ultrasound tech did the thing where she's like, okay, looking around and she's like, okay, one second, I'll be right back. I'm going to bring the doctor. And you're like, okay, shit's going down. Like, Basically, I feel like anytime they want to bring in the doctor when you're in an ultrasound situation, it's like, okay, something is happening. Um, and I'm not sure that it's going to be great. So the doctor came in and I will never, ever forget how she phrased this either. She's like, well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is we know why you're not getting pregnant. The bad news is you have cysts on your ovaries. I think there were maybe like two on one ovary and one on the other, like covered in cysts. So that was a real turning point because all of a sudden we had, we had our answer. Like we knew why this wasn't happening. So on the one hand, it felt good to have a medical diagnosis and like a reason. So she told us, you know, this is probably endometriosis um, with these cysts on your ovaries. Your odds of getting pregnant naturally or with an IUI are pretty low. Um, So I do think we should talk about what IVF might look like. Okay, so they wanted to put you straight on the IVF ship. She didn't really say that. She was kind of like, we could do IUIs. I'd want to do maybe like two. She was basically like, I don't want to spend a lot of time or effort on IUIs. And we were paying entirely out of pocket. So we were kind of thinking, okay, well, if we just take the money we would have spent on IUIs and put it towards IVF instead of Going through two IUIs when we really only had, I think she gave us like an 8% chance of it working, but she gave IVF like a 75% chance of working for us. So it was like, okay, well, why don't we just put that money, the $4,000 it would cost for two IUIs and meds and all the months and all that stuff, like, let's just put that towards IVF. But it was a huge jump for us because we went from Clomid to IVF and I think my husband was like really not into the IVF idea. I mean, I don't think anyone is. No one's like, yay, let's do IVF. Let's like spend a lot of money. And it does take a little bit of warming up too. I think it takes warming up too. And I think it it, um, also takes like hearing other people going through it and learning a little bit more about the process because IVF has like a really bad rap. If you don't know anything about it, people just know it's expensive. They know there are shots. They feel like it's like weird sci-fi. Like a lot of people have moral issues with creating life in a laboratory like there's it's just like very black mirror and so I think until you start to learn more about it you just you don't know what you don't know so you know and I and I constantly talk to people about how you don't want to put a lot of limitations early in your journey because you don't know how you'll feel until you get to that phase like no one wants to do IVF and then when you start IVF you're like I'm only gonna do one round and if that round fails you're like oh no, maybe I want to do another round. So I think it's important to be gentle on yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And don't put, yeah, don't put a timeline on it. You know, like things will take, you know, the time that they need. Yeah, totally. And you're constantly changing your mind and you're constantly changing like what your family might look like. I mean, I think that's the biggest part is, we have this vision in our heads of what we think our family is going to look like. And at every stage, we're like making compromises. So in those beginning stages, you're thinking, well, this is kind of a bummer. Like I really wanted to get pregnant and like surprise my partner, or I wanted to get pregnant in our own bed, or 
I don't want to tell anyone we were trying, like whatever those things are. And then you get closer and closer and closer and you're having to constantly be like, okay, well, now nurse is going to tell us we're pregnant. Okay, now like maybe we're looking at donor eggs. Maybe we're looking at donor sperm. Like every single part in that journey, you're compromising. Yeah, yeah. So um, you started IVF and take us from there. Yeah, so we started IVF and my doctor did not want to remove the cysts on my ovaries. She thought that was going to be more risky than kind of working around the cysts, as she said. So we went into IVF, we did our first round. This was the summer of 2016. And we did the whole rigmarole. We got seven eggs of the seven, three fertilized. So immediately that's like a really big drop, I I felt like. And it was really hard because at that time, I didn't know too many people who were going through it. I was starting to like dip my toe into the Facebook groups, Instagram, like trying to find my community of people. Um, But the biggest issue was that like, I'm a really competitive person. And so for me, when I would hear somebody had 20 eggs retrieved at their, during their first round and they had 15 embryos, I immediately was like, oh my gosh, I suck. My body sucks. This is never going to work. Like I would immediately spiral. And so for me, it was like a really tough emotional time. And like everyone I knew was getting pregnant. It was like, so like this person at work, this best friend was pregnant with her third. This person got accidentally pregnant by some guy that she was just like casually dating. It just felt so insane. And it was like, all those people are making jokes. Like there's something in the water and you're like, there's nothing in the water unless there's like Donald F in the water. Like that'd be great, but I don't know. Yeah. So, okay. So you did, um, yes. What, what were the results of the, I mean, did you do PGS testing of we the did. three that fertilized? Okay. Yeah. So, so we, two made it to blast. We did PGS testing. We were feeling really good. And then we got the call that they were both abnormal. So all of a sudden we went from having like, two chances to zero chances and having to start all over. And that was the lowest of the low throughout the entire journey. It was just like, it felt like we walked into a casino, bet everything and like lost the first roll of the dice. Like, oh yeah. I mean, I, I call it fertility gambling. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. It totally is. And I, and I feel like it, it feels like you walk onto a car lot and you spend $30,000 and you're like, might get a car. Maybe, but you totally might not get one. So I think that was my biggest misconception around IVF was like, oh, okay, I'm just like basically paying my way out of this, which is not really true. I mean, you could do all the right things, be on all the right medication, be monitored, be on specific diets, like do all the things and still might not work. So I think that was a really big misconception that I had at the beginning was like, Oh, 75% chance to me, I heard that as like a hundred percent chance. Like I didn't think, oh, 75% chance of this working is a 25% chance of it not working. Yeah. So yeah. So then we had to decide like what do we want to do? Do we want to go in and do this again? Like, and I wasn't really sure because it had been so physically hard, so emotional. Like, I just felt like if this doesn't work again. I don't know. I like, I didn't know if I had anything left in me. And so actually my mother-in-law was the person who really kind of pushed me a little bit and was like, Elise, are you going to look back and feel like you didn't do enough? 
Like maybe you should try one more time. And our doctor was really optimistic. She was like, I think that was a bad bounce. Like, I really feel like this was just like a do-over. Like, I really think we should try again. So I was like, fine, fine, fine. And it was weird because at that point, my husband was really the one being like, I think we should try again. And I think this kind of appealed to his like sports gambling side of him. He's like very like <laughs> statistics Let, and odds. Yeah, let's and- go back on the track. Totally. And I mean, he's the one who like would want to go to the casino and be like, bet it all on red. And I'm like, I have anxiety. So (laughs) I think that's just kind of like our dynamic a little bit. But yeah, so did a second round of IVF. The second round, they changed our medical protocol a little bit. So like some of the meds shifted. I think we added a new medication and things were just like a little different. Also, that second round, I was like way not as emotionally engaged as I was in the first round. Like the first round, I was journaling every day, meditating, like doing all this stuff and acupuncture and like being very mindful. And I just thought like, oh my gosh, if I can do all the things and like hack my way out of it. And then the second one, I was kind of like, fuck it. I'm not doing any of this. None of that shit worked. I don't care. I'm not even going to tell anyone. Like the first round, I felt like we were bringing all of our family and friends along for the journey. Like, hey, like, here's what happened at the retrieval. Here's what happened now. Here's what's happening now. And then when we had to share the bad news, it was just like, everyone was so heartbroken and disappointed. And it felt like now we're comforting them. Like it was weird. It was like, oh yeah, we got the news. None of our embryos are normal. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. And I'd be like, it's okay. And I'm like, what the hell is this? This is so weird. Right, right. Now all of a sudden you're the comforter and they're the ones that are suffering. Yeah. And it was weird because I felt like I was letting them down, even though I knew that they weren't disappointed because they were, were really counting on me getting pregnant. They were disappointed because they loved us and they knew that we wanted this and they were frustrated for us, which is different than like feeling badly for you. And I think I was interpreting it as like pity. Um, yeah. So you started your second round. You didn't tell anybody. How how did your second round go? It went way better. So our second round went like double better, basically. We had 17 eggs, I think 10 fertilized, five made it to blast, and then we had three normal embryos. So all we were in like a way, way better position. We were over the moon. We were totally thrilled. Um, it just felt like such a different experience from that first round. So we were really happy with those results. So um, took a little bit of time off, like between the uh, the retrieval and the transfer. I had like another medical thing I needed to look at. Um, and so we kind of just put things on pause for about six months. We then transferred our best looking embryo in June 2017. And it stuck and I had a really easy, chill pregnancy and everything went. Oh, that is like, oh, exactly according to plan. And it was funny because at that time um, I was being exposed to a lot of different pregnancy stories and lost stories. And we were um, we had just launched Fruitful, which I'll talk about, too. But that was kind of happening while I was newly pregnant. And I think I was just like the whole pregnancy waiting for shit to go down, like waiting for something bad to happen, waiting for there to be. Um, some type of like bad result because I'd never been pregnant before. Like I'd never seen two pink lines. I'd never miscarried. I'd never had any of those experiences. So in a way it was good because I wasn't traumatized by having a miscarriage or experiencing a loss. Like I know how huge and how scary and how that can just like affect everything. 
So on the one hand, that was like, okay, I haven't experienced that. But on the other side, I felt like I was just waiting for something bad to happen the whole time. So I didn't know, like, can my body do this? Like, can I get pregnant? Can it sustain a pregnancy? Can it maintain this? Like, it was really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't... um... So you transferred one, and that was in 2017. Yep. And did it result in a live birth? Yeah. So we, I gave birth to my daughter in March 2018. Um, totally healthy. Uh, I had a unplanned uh, urgency section, so not like an emergency one, but like definitely a sketchy, questionable one. Um, and it ended up being fine and no issues, totally healthy, right on time, two days before her due date. And yeah, I mean, I just felt like someone was trying to make up for all the the crap that I'd gone through to like get pregnant. They're like, let's give this lady an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so did you do any more transfers after? No. no. So we have we have our one daughter. She is two and a half now. We have two embryos that are still frozen. Um, that we pay for our storage every year. Um, and we are kind of not sure what we're going to do with them now. Got it. Got it. Well, why don't we dive into Fruitful? And what what's the genesis behind the group that you started? <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Sneezing is allowed. Okay. We, we <laughs> Sorry, allow I'm having on um... the episode. <laughs> At least it wasn't a fart. Okay. Oh, God. Um, That's also happened. So don't worry. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, So while we were going through infertility, I think I was just really surprised at how hard it was for my friends and family who had always been able to support me to understand what I was going through. They'd always been able to support me through breakups, moves, job changes, like everything that life throws at you. I'd always felt like my support network was so strong. But for some reason with infertility, it was just really, really hard for people to empathize who hadn't been through it. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to comfort me. Everything I said was wrong. I pretty much left every conversation feeling very unseen, very unvalidated. Like every single cliche that we talk about where it's like, just relax, just adopt. Oh, my friend Stacy, like after, right after they stopped trying, that's when they got pregnant, go to Mexico. Like every single stereotype (laughs) that we hear It's true because people don't know how to sit with you in the discomfort and they don't know how to show up for you in a way where they can just sit there and not try to fix it, where they can just listen and say like, I'm really sorry you're going through that. That sucks. Totally. Totally. They want to expel it. They just, they don't want, and I was talking to somebody else about this on the show, um, uh, Kaylee Chalet, and it, it's like they want to, um, they're feeling so uncomfortable being around all of the pain and, and the uncertainty that they, uh, they like start shooting off all of these like comments to like dissipate it. Yes. Totally. And it ends up actually doing the exact opposite. For sure, because they make you feel worse when they say, oh, well, at least you have a great partner. At least you have the resources to pursue this. You know, kids are, you know, you don't need, do you really even want kids? They're such a pain in the ass. You can have mine. Like every comment anyone says. Oh, God, yeah. It just was all painful and all sitting the wrong way. I just felt like no one was really able to support me. And so I started looking for communities and it was great. I was starting to find, I found like a 
in-person yoga class in Minneapolis where I live. That was great. I found all these other women that were all going through it. But the thing about joining communities who with women who are trying to get pregnant is that eventually a lot of them do get pregnant. And so for me, that ended up being a really big trigger because anytime anyone else got pregnant, I felt like I was being left behind. I felt like all of a sudden they were, you know, way far ahead of me. I felt like our friendship got really strained and awkward. Like they didn't know how to deal with me. I didn't know how to deal with them. Like it just became so much work. And I did have some friends I was able to maintain friendships with, but it was during that time when I realized like, wow, what I really love is to talk to someone who's been through infertility, but isn't actively going through it right now. And I started thinking about it a little bit like Alcoholics Anonymous, where when you're trying to get sober and you go to an AA meeting, you don't buddy up with other people who are also trying to get sober. That would be a mess. Like you're in the middle of your trauma. You're trying to process what's happening to you. And so what you will look for is a sponsor, someone who's been where you've been. They know the language. They can empathize, but they're a couple years removed from their own trauma and they can really help guide you and get you focused and focus on your own shit. And it and it's also very healing for them to offer help, you know, help and mentorship too. Totally. And I think that's the cool thing about our community is that like, even when you're quote unquote, like over it, regardless of how things shake out, like whether you've decided to move on from treatments or you've had your family or whatever that looks like, you can really like, you want to give back to the community. You want there to have been a reason. You learn so much. Like you learn a ton of medical and biological stuff. And you also kind of wish you had a time machine where you could go back and tell younger you like, hey, you should advocate for yourself and get that test like six months earlier. Hey, why don't you ask about like PGS testing? Hey, why don't you like go to this other clinic if you didn't like your doctor? Like you just learn so much. You feel so empowered. You want to give that back for sure. Yeah. So, well, what types of things does Fruitful offer? Like share how, share how it all works. Yeah. So we are a two-sided platform. So that means people can sign up either to talk to a mentor or to become a mentor. So people sign up, they fill out like a questionnaire about what's going on. How old are you? How long have you been trying? What's your diagnosis? Um, Are you religious? Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Are you in an LGBTQ relationship? Are you a single mother by choice? Are you in the military? Like basically all of these different medical and lifestyle questions so that we can better match people one-on-one to make sure they're talking to someone who can like really understand what they're going through. We have people who sign up who have different genetic disorders or, you know, maybe they've gone through cancer treatments. Like everyone has a different path and a different story. So we match people individually one-on-one to make sure they're talking to someone who like really understands where they are in the process, what they need. Um, Do they want to talk to someone who's done donor embryos? Do they want to talk to someone who's had recurrent miscarriages? So we really take all this information and we match people one-to-one. So you have your specific mentor who can chat with you through our app. So all the connections are made privately through our app. And yeah, then these relationships kind of develop and bloom over time. You can stay and chat through the app. You can swap, you know, phone numbers or emails. We had people meeting in person a lot before this whole like coronavirus thing. So this is a really cool way for people to connect one-on-one privately. It's not through like Facebook or Instagram. There's no pressure to share with like a bunch of other people. We try to make sure our mentors are 
finished with their fertility story. And if they're not, they, they say like, oh, you know, we're going to try again. We're doing another transfer. You know, we try to make sure that we're accounting for everyone's triggers. So that's something I think you don't really get in a lot of these bigger communities where you are dealing with some people who are ahead of you or like have fewer rounds or where it can feel a little competitive or like drama. Right. So that's what I really like about our program where it's this one-to-one private mentorship. And people, and it's free? So there is, there's a one-time $50 application processing fee for mentees. So That makes sense. You know, like there's always going to be administration fees. Like that, that's very reasonable to me. Well, when we built this whole app ourselves, my husband and I, so we built everything custom. It's all private. We do all of this work to protect everyone's data. We don't share it with anyone. And so really it's just like a one-time application fee. It's not like a monthly thing. If you don't like your match, we'll rematch you. So really just trying to make sure like people are getting that custom one-on-one support. So it's kind of between like a fertility coach and a community. So I'd say it's like kind of in between there. And we talk all the time about how we're not trying to replace therapy. We're not trying to replace support groups. Like this is just one extra tool in your toolkit if you're looking for one other person. And I think it also is like incredibly beneficial for people who might be very rural or remote, who haven't told a lot of people. It can be overwhelming to be in some of these communities or Facebook groups where there's like a lot of loud people sharing so much. I feel like in a lot of those groups, 20% of the members share like 80% of the stuff. And so if you're not like a very um, in tune with your own feelings person, it can feel like really intense and overwhelming. Yeah. And I also feel like, cause when I was first starting, we were, we were still trying naturally. I felt like I joined a couple of Facebook groups and there was such, it, it, it was like a maze yeah. It was like, it, it was so many experiences. It was so, there was such a, a broad range of um, people's stories and situations that it was really hard to navigate all of them. Yeah, you know? it, can, it can mess you up and it can overwhelm you if you're someone who's like only a couple months in and you're just curious about like, what test should I ask for at the OB? And people are like, my fourth round of IVF failed. And you're like, this is so intense. And is this like where I belong? And am I, am I even here yet? Like now I feel insecure. And like, am I struggling enough? Am I allowed to be upset about my friend's baby shower when these other people have been going through this for like five years? So I feel like there's a weird yeah, competitive measuring thing that happens a lot in those groups. And regardless of like the rules, I feel like that's just so often individual and some people are really good at managing that and can totally get out of their own head and other people I think it can just feel really really like swampy like you're just stuck in this swamp and you're like is this is this where I should be and you're so desperate for support and understanding that sometimes you deal with some of these other undesirable parts of like social media just for the you know for the the understanding parts and so we're just trying to add another way to connect with people that might feel better for like a certain personality type. Yeah. Well, um, you kind of went into this a little bit, um, but I want to dive a little bit deeper. What is different about Fruitful that makes it unique from other infertility support groups? I think a lot of fertility support groups focus on like this idea of cycle buddies where you have people who are all kind of 
in the same frame of mind and going through it together, which I think can be really helpful, especially if you're looking for someone to kind of text you and ask, hey, how did that IUI go? How did this blood work go? How was your HSG test? Like there's definitely a value to that and a value to talking to other women who are going through something similar and are kind of like at your pace. But I think what I like about Fruitful and what I think works is for the people who do feel a little bit more competitive or who don't want to be surprised by a pregnancy announcement, you know, in a group, like those are kinds of, so if you're feeling like a little oversensitive to that stuff or you're not necessarily looking to, if you don't have the emotional space to necessarily support anyone else either, like the benefit of a mentorship relationship is even though it is, you know, you do end up kind of becoming friendly and it does even out a little bit over time. I do think that when you're the person who's like, getting support versus the person who is both getting and giving. I mean, going through infertility is emotionally exhausting. It is so hard to like even keep track of your own emotions, let alone like 20 other women's emotions. It's just like very intense. And while there's are totally great things that come out of those groups where you're having a rough day, you need someone else to help you. Someone else just had a miscarriage. You're going to all chip in and send flowers. Like there's a beautiful part of that, but I do think there's something equally helpful of talking to someone who isn't going to make everything like about them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I think there's something so, there's something so comforting about connecting with somebody who is a few steps ahead of you, you know? Yeah, like, totally. I, I mean, I was thinking about it like because the word mentor kind of trips some people up sometimes because it sounds professional. But in my head, when I say mentor, I'm really thinking of like the big sister, the older cousin, like DJ Tanner is pretty much like the person in my head when I think about like, yes, who like the best mentor would be because it's like, think about DJ. She was like, cool and interesting. But she also was like a real person. And Stephanie and Michelle could like have the emo one on one conversations with her. But she also like knew a lot and could help bring you along. And so that's really what we look for in our mentors are people who can connect easily with other people, want to help, have processed their own trauma and processed what has happened to them. They want to give back. They want to tell younger them all the things they wish they had asked, all the things they wish they had known. It really like gives that mentor the opportunity to stay connected to the community that helped them a lot. And I think a lot of mentors really tap into this sense of gratitude. I think it reminds them how hard it was. And a lot of times when you're a parent after infertility, however that looks, you have really complicated feelings because you're grateful for your kid. You're grateful to be a parent. But I think sometimes you feel like you can never complain or you can never be ungrateful or even perceived as being ungrateful because you wanted this so badly and you like owe the universe. So I think it's like a complicated space for a lot of parents post-infertility and a lot of people want to give back. And this is a really great way to do that without having to like quit your job and make a fertility company like I did. (laughs) 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 Which by the way, I highly recommend not making a company around your own personal trauma that you have to deal with every day. It's really intense. It is intense. It is. Um, Well, for the silent sufferers out there, why do you think it's important to find a community that has gone through similar experiences? I think that when you try to go through something on your own, it can make everything feel so much bigger and more lonely and isolating. And you feel like you're the only person 
in the entire world going through this, even though there are hundreds of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people who go through this, and it doesn't discriminate against age, location, religion, geography, race, like this can pretty much happen to anyone wherever you are. But because it can be so private and we don't tell other people, that's when like the shame stuff happens. So highly recommend people read and listen to Brene Brown. She's obviously like the best ever. Oh, I love her. I love her. Like such a huge game changer when you t- when you hear her research about shame and how like when you don't talk about things, when you don't let other people show up and support you and when you don't show your vulnerability, like it just makes everything feel so much more hopeless and isolating. And so that's why if you are suffering by yourself or you don't want to be open about your story, totally understandable. Consider opening up to one person. Like you, I think there's this misconception now with social media that you either need to be like dealing with this completely privately or like posting about it on Facebook all the time. Like it feels like a very binary decision people feel like they have to make, but you don't have to do that. Like, You can really pick and choose who you think can hold space for you, who you think gets it, like whether it's a cousin or a friend or, you know, a stranger through something like Fruitful or through one of these other communities. Like it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And you get to decide who hears your story. You get to choose. And if you tell someone and you don't like how they reacted, you don't owe them anything. You don't have to give them updates. You don't have to like text them every day. If they ask you for an update, you can be like, well, you know, things are okay. I actually don't really want to talk about it right now. Like you are in control. And I think too often people think, well, once I say something, I have to like tell everyone and that's not true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just to like be the devil's advocate, I remember like to counter counterpoint that I feel, I feel like early on in my journey, I had a couple of people that I talked about it with and at a certain point, their experience only got so far. And I felt like I was overburdening them, like that they could not, um, you know, like I had a couple of friends that it took them like 15 months to conceive their child. Yeah, and, right. um, and so when I was in the trying naturally stage, they were really helpful, you know, but then when I decided to go to treatment, it was like, oh, shoot. Now I have to graduate to a different friend that can help me with this phase. Yeah, there's kind of like, there's almost like different levels or different phases of infertility where, okay, yeah, in the beginning you're trying naturally and you're dealing with some of the emotional stuff. You're dealing with the stress. You're dealing with the like, just relax, ovulation. Am I ovulating? When am I ovulating? Like you're kind of, um, you're like in high school and then you graduate to your like OB and then you're like, in college and then you go to the re and then you're like getting your phd in biology actually yeah Yeah. it's just like so yeah i mean your resources have to change like as you go through the journey and as you learn more information i think that's different too is like wherever you are any given day that's just where you are that moment so one moment yeah you're in the obgyn's office and you're getting your you know day three labs and you're getting your ultrasound and you're getting your clomid prescription and then who knows, like, maybe then you have a miscarriage, you know, and then you're in a different, right. you know, right. then you want to talk to somebody else who went through that. Or maybe you're someone who has an ectopic pregnancy or, you, you know, you're constantly like going through more stuff. 
and learning what you need. And I think that's the biggest thing is just being able to tap into yourself and being able to say, what feels good? Does it feel good to read a lot of different stories? Does it feel good to really listen to all these podcasts? And do it? is this making me feel more educated and empowered? Or is this making me feel more stressed out? Is this yeah. giving me more anxiety? Is this helping? What is this? Why am I engaging with this content and in these communities? And I think it's important to know you're in control of the media you consume. You're in control of who you have relationships with. Those are things that we have control over. And you need to constantly be like turning the dial on that, knowing that it changes every single day, knowing that you're going through something really hard and really personal and being able to protect that special part of you that needs emotional support, that needs encouragement, that needs to know you're like doing the quote unquote right thing for you. And it's your responsibility to be able to find those different levers and resources based on where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's something that makes your blood boil about infertility? <laughs> Just one thing. Oh my gosh. So much. <laughs> I think I think there's two main components. The one component is obviously like health insurance and uh, finances that um, directly correlate to like who can have access to which treatments, like the inequity behind that makes me insane. And when I think about people who get diagnosed with, you know, lung cancer after smoking their whole lives and all their stuff is covered. And then I think about, you know, a 25 year old who has endometriosis and like none of her fertility stuff is covered. Like, yeah. When I think about that stuff, I get really pissed um, and just how unfair our insurance coverage is and like our, our healthcare in this country is just such a disaster. Oh, it's fucked. It's just if I, so if fucked. I think about it for more than eight seconds, like I want to burn everything down. So <laughs> that's definitely like one of my hot buttons for sure. And I think the other one is sort of connected in that the misconception that you can hack fertility, that it's not like infertility is a medical diagnosis. There's something medically wrong. It's not that you're not relaxing enough. It's not that you're not doing enough meditations. It's not that you're not eating paleo. Like there are things that can certainly help reduce stress. And there are things that can maybe bump your odds like a little bit, but you have a medical condition, you have a medical diagnosis. And if someone came to you and was like, I have cancer, you wouldn't be like, have you tried cutting out gluten? Like you wouldn't say that. So oh my God, I just had this conversation with somebody else. I mean, in the episode that I think is airing before yours, like <laughs> it, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, why? I, I remember somebody telling me that, um, my chakras were blocked. And that was why I wasn't getting pregnant. And I literally almost like threw the phone out the window. I was so, and you know, and a match over my shoulder. I was so mad. I was like, how can you say that to somebody? And don't get me wrong. I like love all that chakra gem crystal aura shit. Like I love it, but that's not why you're not getting pregnant. And I think that like, and that I think feeds into this idea that like, oh, if I just do this like one thing, like I feel like I see so many posts on Instagram and so many people saying, you know, what worked the cycle for you? Like the, on, on, the, on your frozen transfer that worked, like what did you do differently? It's like, 
nothing. I literally did nothing differently. If anything, I did less. Like I, I, yeah. you know, tried to disengage a little more. Like, I think we're just so desperate as a society to know these hacks. And we're so obsessed with like quick fixes and, you know, how do I lose weight? How do I lose 10 pounds in 10 days? Like, we're just so obsessed with feeling like we have control over things that we don't, because it's so hard to live in a world where you know that you don't have any control. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, how can people follow you and get involved with Fruitful? Yeah, so if you're someone who is struggling emotionally as you're trying to conceive and you're looking for someone who can empathize with you and support you, someone who maybe has a similar outlook as you do or has a similar diagnosis, you should sign up uh, to find a mentor. It's $50 a one-time fee. You can sign up either on our website at fruitfulfertility.org or you can find us in the App Store or Google Play Store. And if you're someone who is still connected to this community, even if you maybe aren't going through treatment anymore, you should definitely consider signing up to become a mentor. It's a really valuable, um, what am I trying to say? It's It's a very fulfilling role where you get to play this role in someone's life where they're not getting the emotional support they need and you get to be that person. It feels so good to give back to this community, especially if you're someone who feels like you did have emotional support. It can feel good to like pay that forward. So you can sign up to become a mentor. Um, really the only, the only thing we ask is that you've been through infertility, which is defined as trying to conceive for over a year if you're under 35 six months if you're over 35. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's really it. And you can follow us on Instagram at fruitful underscore fertility. We're on Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, we have a monthly newsletter that goes out. We have our own podcast called Been There, Injected That. Um, yeah, it's funny. We're just awesome. trying to help support the community and be another voice and another resource for people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we need more of that because different people are going to gravitate towards different, you know, different vibes, different feelings, you know, different ways of organizing and stuff. So that's awesome. And and we work really closely with a lot of other communities too. Like we're friends with the gals at the Fertility Tribe and Fertility Rally. Like we're all friendly and we're all trying to help people get the support they need. So it's so weird because people are like, oh, there's all these different resources, but you're not really competing because really the goal is like to get people emotional support. Like you just want people to feel better. And so if something feels, if my program doesn't feel good, but like joining fertility rally does like, that's awesome. And so I think that's a misconception maybe in the fertility world where there's like different brands and like, they're all just women who have struggled who like want to help other women. So. Right. Right. And, and again, different, different strokes for different folks. You know, we need it all. There's room and for different strokes everything. for different folks on like any given day. Like, right. like we talked about, like sometimes you might want to be very involved in the Instagram community. Sometimes you might need a break. It might feel too loud or too much, or you don't have the emotional bandwidth to deal with other people. So I think it's just constantly like figuring out what levers you need to pull when, who's your emotional support system, who can you help, like just making sure we're all feeling as balanced and present as possible because this is a trauma and this is something that affects your life and how you look at the world and it can change your everything. So I think just like making sure that you're taking care of yourself, you're being gentle with yourself, 
you're talking to yourself the way you talk to a friend. If you're someone who has a lot of like negative self-talk, like that's something you'll want to explore and try to work through. And yeah, I mean, just making sure that you have access to the resources you need. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Elise, for coming on the show today. It's been awesome hearing your story and hearing more about Fruitful. Yeah, thank you so much, Millie. And thanks for talking about this on your podcast. I think it's like such a great way to bring exposure to something that doesn't get a lot of like big exposure from people who aren't like, I'm making a fertility podcast. Like, it's just so awesome, I think. So thank you for your transparency and your authenticity all the time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I hope we can meet face to face one of these days. Maybe one day when we can get on airplanes. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. One day when this all gets figured out. Yeah. One day. All right, Elise. Talk to you soon. We'll be in touch. Thanks so much. Thanks, Millie. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week. Thank you.